We're going to continue today with the ongoing series on the Sermon on the Mount. God has really laid this heavily on my heart, uh, and I believe it's a critical foundational uh, premise of what stands for us as Jesus Christ. What, how does God want us to live? How does God expect us to live as Christians? And as I really focused on this, really what I've learned is that Jesus has explaining to us what it means to be born again. You see? Uh, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he didn't really go on to amplify it too much. Uh, other than to make it very simple that you must be born again, going away from your old nature. But now through the Beatitudes uh, and through the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see Jesus dive deeply into what he means by being born again. Uh, And today is a very uh, significant part of that uh, as in the fourth Beatitude, Jesus will now talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 6. Jesus says the following, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those that thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so there's so many deep aspects of this word that we need to delve into today about what what did Jesus mean by hungering and thirsting? And what did he mean by using the term righteousness? And again, blessed. Blessed in what sense? Blessed in what sense? And so, yes, you will see in all of the Beatitudes, when Jesus says blessed, he means you will be happy. You will find happiness in this world, and you will find happiness in the world to come. Uh, and so it becomes a really uh, characteristic of the, of the Christian. And so hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This logically flows, as Jesus would prepare this uh, sermon, it logically flows from the first three Beatitudes, because here's what happens. First, you, you are mourning. You're mourning for your spiritual condition. Uh, you are poor in spirit. As you, as you reflect uh, and audit yourself, you recognize that there is a deep hole within you. And so uh, in that poor in spirit condition, you're mourning to God about what you find. And then as, as you come to terms with that and God begins to fill you, now blessed are you that are meek, meaning you now become more humble. You recognize the answer is not in the self. And that's the problem with this world. You see, the world is all all about self in every way. The narcissist, lifting myself up, prideful in every way. I have all the answers. I can do it all. And instead, the real Christian bows before the throne of God, bows before the cross and recognizes, Lord, I can't do anything without you. I am totally inept without you. And so you see those three follow, and now God begins to give the answer. The answer is hunger and thirsting for righteousness in every way. And so we've been looking at the utter helplessness of the human condition in every way. Uh, And we've been concerned about the terrible problem of self because self is where sin resides. As you know, that is the prideful condition of man. And so now we look for the conclusion and the solution and the solution is from God hungering and thirsting for righteousness, meaning what? 
We want to be like Jesus. We want to be holy. We want to be able to refrain from sin and the power of sin. And so this is a key doctrinal point uh, in the gospel of Christ uh, and, and indicating that salvation is totally of grace, uh, that it is entirely the free gift of God. And you see that here in the Beatitudes. There's nothing here that indicates that you're pulling yourself up from your bootstraps. That's why the world will never get the Sermon on the Mount. You see, when people will say, well, Jesus was a great teacher. The points that he made in the Sermon on the Mount are fantastic. The Beatitudes are great. It is a code of ethics to follow. Wrong! It is not a code of ethics to follow. You can't possibly follow this if you are not saved, if the Holy Spirit does not reside in your heart. And that's an understanding that we have to have as Christians and convey to this world, yes, we aspire to the Beatitudes. Yes, we aspire to the, to the Sermon on the Mount, but we can only do it to the extent that God pours his grace and his spirit into our hearts. God has designed us for happiness, for happiness, even in this world. But the great tragedy you see of the world is that the world decides it will pursue happiness on its own. It will pursue mindless pleasures. And here's what happens when you pursue happiness instead of pursuing the righteousness of God. You're doomed to fail. You will never find true happiness unless you've given yourself off to God, unless his spirit fills you in every possible way. And so we are not, we are not to hunger after happiness. This is important. Uh, this happiness is not something that God wants you to aspire to. He wants you to aspire to holiness. And according to the scriptures, happiness is never something to look for. Rather, it is something that results in the true happiness that God gives us. That when we bow before the throne of God and hunger and thirst after God, when we pray, when we study the scripture, when we ask him to fill us and refill us and refill us, then you will have a happiness that the world can never understand. Uh, and you will see that you will become more like Christ every day. And so this becomes important. So what did Jesus mean uh, in this beatitude by the term righteousness. What did he mean when he used that term? Well, the one thing he didn't mean, he did not mean a term of general morality. Jesus wasn't referring to general morality, just as you see everything here in the Beatitudes. Jesus was talking about a broken spirit that seeks the will of God, hungering for the righteousness of God and asking the Holy Spirit of God to fill him because then when he's filled with the Spirit, he doesn't have to worry about the general terms of morality because now he begins to be more like Jesus in every aspect of his life. And that's what God wants from us. All right, And so it is a much more serious and deeper concept than just uh, alluding to general morality. It has much deeper context than this. It includes the thoughts of justification, meaning you were a sinner 
and by faith alone, God justified you. And then in that ongoing step of faith, as you walk with God and are filled with God, he sanctifies you daily. And that's what these Beatitudes are about. Meaning what? Meaning every day of your life as you're filled and refilled with the Spirit, God continues to sand you down. He brings you closer to the cross. He brings you closer to Jesus Christ. And he sanctifies you. Are you never, uh, is it ever fully done, complete? No. Only at the point when you give up your spirit to God, the soul, and, and you pass on from this life to the next, then it is completing. But you have to understand here that the desire the desire for righteousness is this act of hungering and thirsting for it, meaning it is the desire to be free from sin and to be free from the power of sin and to be free from the manifestation of sin in all its forms. That's what this means. That's what God wants for you. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so this should be a fundamental desire for all of us as we walk with God to be free from sin uh, because sin separates us from God. It's that simple. Sin separates man from God. You saw it in the very first page of, of, of the uh, book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden when, when men and women, Adam and Eve, were put there to be there forever. They were never intended to die. They were never intended to have their lives cut short. They were never to, intended to suffer from disease or, or any of the other vicissitudes that affect us as human beings. None of that. But what happened? Sin entered into it. And sin enters into it because it came from the center of the heart. You understand? It's there in the heart. And in the center of the heart is pride. Did God tell you that you couldn't eat from that tree? Oh, he, was, he just didn't want you to be as smart as he is. Because look at you. Look at you. You're smart. You're really good. You're a good person. You should have this. You see how Satan acts? He goes and he, he knows exactly what chords to press on us. Uh, and that self-righteous, narcissistic condition in the heart of humanity. And what happens? Man falls. And he falls forever. And what happens with sin? We are now separated from God. That's the real danger of sin. You're separated from God. You can no longer reach the throne of grace. You can't pray because those prayers hit the ceiling. Because now you're filled with sin and separated from him. And so all the trouble, all the trouble that we have in the world. And boy, if you want to see trouble in this world, just take a look at the news the last two weeks. All right? You want to see, and I will tell you flat out, I'm not a political person, but I will tell you this. It all starts with sin. It's sin. It's the fact that humanity has separated itself from God separated itself from God. And so God says we're different. He wants you to hunger and thirst for righteousness to every day of your life, to seek the will of God, to seek the word of God, to ask God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Hungering and thirsting for the very presence of God in your life. 
Now, it also means to be free from the power of sin. Uh, And so having realized what it means to be poor in spirit and to mourn because of that condition, we naturally come to the stage of longing to be free from sin. It's not merely just sin alone, but the power of sin, the allure of sin, the fact that it pulls us away from the people of God. And this is a man who has now come to understand this. I just come to understand that the world is controlled by sin. And make no mistake about this. This world is under the control of Satan. One day that will all change. But now it's under the control of Satan. You swim in a sea of evil. And so even as the world is in bondage to sin... God wants us to be free from the very desire of sin. And the only way that can happen is to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, for the holiness of God, to read his word, to be out and come together and worship with his people, to go back in prayer every day and pray a hundred times a day. Listen, let me tell you something about that. Really, I have learned in my life that I don't have to put a prayer mat out. I don't have to find which direction Jerusalem is. I don't have to bow and put my prayers toward Jerusalem. I can pray a hundred times a day while I'm in my car, while I'm walking, and even, yes, while I play golf. I find that my best golf is when I'm praying because, <laughs> because then I take my mind off my golf game. I'm praying. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for this world. I'm praying for this church because that's how God wants you to live. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you find yourself a hundred times a day reaching out to him. And as you reach out to him, he fills you with his spirit. He lifts you up and he pours his will and spirit into your life. Uh, and so we, we talked about this. We talked about the fact that when we, we considered the man who is meek, uh, what it really meant is that he is free from self, from narcissism, from self in every shape or form, self-concern, boasting, pride, self-righteousness, self-promotion, and the power to glorify self. Does that sound like people you know? I mean, really, when you think about it. That's the world, ladies and gentlemen. That's what the world is about. But God has called us to be separate from that and to hunger and thirst for the will of God in every possible way. And so what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness is nothing more than the positive longing to be holy, to be like Jesus, to have my life conform to the will of God. This is a man who wants to exemplify the Beatitudes in every aspect of his life. He wants to show the world this is how God has intended us uh, to live. It means that one's supreme desire in life is to know God and to know his will. Let me repeat that again. It means that the most supreme desire in your life is to know God and to have his will carried into your life. We want to walk with him. We want to walk with Christ. We want to walk with God. We want to walk with the Holy Spirit in every place that we go uh, and, and lifting God, representing God, showing a lost world what it means to be a child of God. Uh, and then in the end, in the end, it means the purest desire to be like our Lord and Savior. We saw Jesus. 
We saw him walk in this world. We have the evidence of what he did, his kindness, his temperament, his love, his compassion in every way, his sensitive nature, reaching out for the lost ladies. And gentlemen, this is what it means to be born again. This is the very definition of being born again. You know, some people have really ruined that phrase, ruined the phrase of born again. And as a result of that, so many people think, well, when you're born again, you're a flake. You're a zealot. You're out there in orbit. When in fact, it has nothing to do with that. It means to be like Jesus, to be comported like Christ, to have the very temperament of Christ. That's what it means to be born again. That's what we, God wants us to desire. And so the man and woman who hungers and thirsts after righteousness hungers and thirsts to be like Christ in every way. And that's what this is about. That's the application. And so what is holiness? What is, well, many people think we become holy by eradicating uh, something evil within us, and that's not true. You don't eradicate something of evil within you. You become holy by being separated unto God. Separated unto God. That there is nothing between you and God but God. There's no possession. There's no mindset. There's no desire for anything else. It's just you and God, and you are separated unto him. The Bible made that very clear. Holiness in the Hebrew sense, as defined in Exodus chapter 28, said effectively, holiness is unto the Lord. Holiness is unto the Lord, meaning in that time, if a man was dedicated to be unto the Lord, he was anointed with oil and set apart from the congregation. Uh, and as a result of that, everyone knew that he was dedicated to the Lord. That is holiness as defined by the Bible. Set, uh, presenting myself, presenting myself to God implies a recognition that I am all his. Let me repeat that. I am am all his. There must be a day in your life, a day in your life when you pass out of your own hands, out of your own self-determination, out of your own self-will, and on that day you give everything that you are to him. I am yours, Lord. Do with me as you will. Make of me as you will. Direct my paths, direct my speech and everything. And so as you consecrate yourself in that way, you then begin to take on holiness the way God wants you to be and to require of your life what he wants you to be. My giving of myself to the Lord must be an initial fundamental act. An initial fundamental act. Then day by day, I must go on giving myself to him. Meaning it's not like you hear some people say, I was saved April 3rd, 1962. And what have you been doing since then? Well, I've been kind of busy. I've got work. I've got family. I've been tied up. But I've got a lot of plans. I've got a lot of plans. Well, here's the thing, folks. God's not interested in your plans. God is interested in your life. He wants you. And so we have to give ourselves to him. Uh, and as we do this, give it to him, we have to keep giving ourselves to him day by day. It is not a one-time initial act. It is a constant daily walking and praying and hungering 
and thirsting for God every single day. And as we walk with him, he fills and refills and the flesh begins to take on less prominence and the spirit is elevated. This is the attitude that God delights in. This is why we study these Beatitudes. This is why we study the Sermon on the Mount because God wants you to understand what it means to be truly born again. He wants you to have this knowledge and walk in every aspect of his life. And so here's the promise he makes to you that those who live like this, those who dedicate themselves like this, are blessed and will be happy, happy in this world, happy with their families, happy with their friendships, happy with their church, and you will be blessed and find happiness in the world to come. Because God will give you all that you need. And I want to, again, press this, that I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. All right? I repudiate that. I repudiate that when you turn on television. I was watching this morning some of these people uh, talking about the fact, well, if you give me a dollar, God will give you a hundred back. I don't know. I don't find this. I don't see a formula that God says, if you do this, then I will do that. Listen, here's the point. Some of us will never be rich. You're not coming to Christ so you have a big bank account. You're coming to Christ in obedience, hungering and thirsting so that you will be blessed. And with whatever he gives you, you will be happy. If he doesn't give you a lot, you will be happy. But if somehow he does give you a lot, then you will recognize in that you owe it to him. Whatever he gives you, it's his. You understand that? It's his. It's not yours. Don't go around thinking, you know, I'm a smart little boy and I, I know how to make money. No, you don't. You need to understand that God has poured this into your life and whatever it is, he gave it to you in such a powerful work. And so we need to understand this. This is what true happiness is about in every possible way. That is the true gift of God. And so this is a continuing process in every possible way uh, affecting us as we, we fight the power of sin in our life. The question is, are you hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God? Because if you are, you will be filled and you will be refilled. That's the promise that God makes to you. It is the Holy Spirit that works within you and continuing to drive you and make you be more hungry and thirsting for the will of God. It will enable you to resist Satan. How do you think you're going to resist Satan? You think you're going to resist Satan because you picked up a couple of good books on philosophy? Is that what you think it's about? Well, you're sadly mistaken. There's only one way you're going to resist Satan, and that's through the Holy Spirit embedded in your heart, worshiping God, filling you with hunger and righteousness, and as he does that, you will be able to resist Satan. That's the, effectively how it works, how God works. Paul said it well in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, where he said, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Oh, Lord, I know, I know whom I have believed. And I know he will take care of me and he will guard me 
and entrust that, I entrust my life to him. That's the promise that God makes. These are not empty promises. You know it from seeing deeply convicted people of God. You saw what it was like. Even as they faced the difficulties of life, faced sickness and even death, you saw what it was that God carried them across the finish line. God was with them every possible way. And so it is with good reason, really good reason, that this is the fourth beatitude. It's good because that's how Jesus works. Look at the organized mind of God. You see, God is not, is not like a rabbit trail. God isn't all over the place, not presenting a cogent message. God's message are arrow straight. It is powerful, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so the man who is marked, as Jesus laid it out in the progression of the Beatitude, the man who is marked by the poverty of spirit, who grieves over sin, both personal and social in the world, and approaches God with meekness and humility must be characterized as hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You see, there's no other way to describe it. It perforce must be. If the first three take place, then the fourth must take place because the fourth is the answer to the other three. And so you understand that. And so he looks at righteousness not as some additional luxury, some, not some cherry on the top of the cake, but rather as the fundamental purpose of following the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing Christ, knowing his will, knowing what he stands for, understanding the righteousness and holiness, holiness of God, and asking God, to keep me from sin, to keep me from the power and manifestation of sin. He cannot get along without it. You cannot get along without this righteousness if you want to walk with God. You cannot be separated from God. Uh, it is as important as food and drink are to the human condition. Uh, another way of understanding this term righteousness effectively means a pattern of life in conformity to the will of God. Isn't that really how you want to live your life? Isn't that what you want God to see? Isn't that how you want your life and your, your pathway followed? And so the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, hungers and thirsts for conformity to God's will in every aspect of life. He is not drifting aimlessly in a sea of empty religiosity. Let me repeat that. He is not drifting in a sea of empty religiosity. I don't care how often you go to church. I don't care whether you have a high position in the church. I don't care if you are on numerous committees on the church. I don't care what denomination you belong to. And I don't care if your denomination says that the only way you're getting to heaven is to be a part of this denomination. The Bible repudiates every single one of those statements. Everyone. The only way, the only way is to be fully given over to God, hungering and thirsting for his holiness in your life, to walk in conformity with his will. That's the key. That's what it's all about. That's why we come together and we worship together and we lift each other up and we pray for each other. It is all about hungering and thirsting for the will of God. Paul said it best in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 
to 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. <clears throat> and here's what he said. And recognize that at the time that he wrote this, he had already been years in the Christian walk, years in establishing churches, years in giving the gospel of Christ and giving the message. And look what he says here in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do know Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize that for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine that this man who at this point would have spent his life in ministry, given it all up for Jesus Christ, walked away from the elite of the Jewish religion and put himself in a position where he would suffer and be persecuted and ultimately executed for the word of God? And yet look what he says at this point in time. I do not consider myself yet to have taken taken hold of it. Why? Because he recognized it was a daily walk. It's not like you put a badge on. You don't walk around with a badge. You walk around in a humble attitude, seeking the righteousness and holiness of God. And you see it here with this man, uh, forgetting what is behind. Forget where I've been. Forget the mistakes that I've made. Forget the sins that I've made. The, the people that I've maybe not treated right. Forgetting it and moving ahead to the cross. Straining towards what is ahead because God calls you to what is ahead. That's what hungering and thirsting of righteousness is about. Calling you to walk forward, to move the gospel forward, to spread the gospel of Jesus forward, to exhibit in every aspect of your life what it means to be a man and woman of God. He wants to see that in your life. That is what counts. That's the evidence. You don't need to pass out pamphlets. You don't need to stand on a street corner and tell people. All you need is to have your life so filled with the power of God, so filled with the Holy Spirit that it gleams out of every pore of your body. There's no question. There's no question who you belong to and where your life is and what it's about. Oh, Father, I ask you really, Lord, to examine us and to give us this hunger and thirst, Lord, to draw us daily into this. And so we need to remember really that we can never, ever be satisfied with our spiritual condition. Never be satisfied and say, I finally arrived. No, no, we don't live that way. Because as we see Christ every day, we recognize that he is the image that we strive for. That is the life that we want. That is the holiness that we want. And so Jesus said it so well in John chapter 4. Verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me 
will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the message, church, today. That's the message that Jesus promises you, that as you hunger and thirst for him, that he will give you this bread of life, that he will give you this water that will satiate you forever, that will change your life in this world, that will change your relationships. You will have true happiness, the likes of which the world can never understand. It doesn't matter if you're poor financially or as rich as Rockefeller. It doesn't matter because when you live like this, when you walk like this, God will give you what you need and what you need will make you happy. True happiness, not as the world defines it, what is fleeting, but true, eternal, spiritual happiness. Amen, church? Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for these words. I thank you for the lessons that you've given us in the Beatitudes, Lord. They resonate deeply in our heart. So, Lord, today, as we've been able to come here and worship together, to hear the music which soars our spirit, And now we hear your word, Lord, and we know that this word was meant for us today. We live here, Lord. We leave here with a a mindset, Father, that every day we will hunger and thirst and walk even more deeply with you, that we will pray more, that we will study more, that we will be with our brothers and sisters, worship together, lift you up, and show the world, yes, world, this is what it means to be like Jesus. Amen, Father, in your word.